welcome. Thank you for joining us on Three Women's Three Ways. We are the show that handles some pretty tough topics. Today's topic is not tough, but it is, I think, interesting. What is feminism? What is feminism? We've had different incarnations. We've talked about the first wave, the second wave, the third wave. I even heard somebody talking about the fourth wave, and I went, really, there's a fourth wave? I, I must have missed that. Um, but whatever it is, everybody has their own notion of feminism and what it means to be a feminist. Um, and I thought it would be nice to have just a very easy conversation. So I have a guest here who's prepared to talk with me about feminism and what it means in the 21st century. Lisa Levy, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Great to be here. Great. Lisa, I'm not going to pretend to be able to give a bio of you, um, but I would like you to talk to us a little bit. You've been on our show before. Tell us about your background a little bit. Okay. Um, Well, for the last... mm, Two decades plus, um, I've been doing consulting and research around diversity issues, uh, have a lot of experience with gender diversity, but also with other kinds, as well as, um, you know, really helping companies to create work environments that are places where women want to come and stay and where they can advance and move into leadership roles, but also companies that are good for men and companies that... uh, have environments that are supportive of men as well. So I'm really about how we help people thrive in their lives. My uh, official hat has been as a a corporate consultant and and a researcher. Uh, I think my bigger um, mission, I guess, is really this sense of living healthy and, um, and happy and productive lives. Well, that's a that's a, a stunning background, and I think it probably uh, qualifies you uh, in many ways to talk more about this topic than I'm qualified to talk about it. But I always like to joke and say I'm probably one of the last living feminists. I mean, I'm the last one that will just stand up and say, yep, yep, I'm a feminist, and that's fine, and I'm not parsing the word, and I'm not arguing about it. But the word feminism does come with baggage, doesn't it? Uh, seems a like huge amount. Have, <laughs> yes, People have kind of a gut reaction to hearing feminism. And being a little longer in the tooth, I remember from 20 years ago, I thought, well, this will just go away. But it hasn't. And in many ways, it's expanded. Also, the notion of young women jumping on the feminism bandwagon, just sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. What is it about the word feminism that throws us all? Well, I think maybe I would share a little bit of my own story because I, you know, think probably in some ways that I reflect uh, what some younger women may experience. Um, I think for me, it was the sense of I saw very gendered norms in my own family of origin growing up. And for me, my vision was I was going to be a career woman and a you know, and and hopefully or perhaps a mother and other things, but, you know, really was focused on what I wanted to accomplish professionally and went into the workforce thinking there is no issue with gender equality anymore. And I did not... um, I did not study, you know, gender studies in college. I was an economics major, and then I got an MBA, and my original career was in money management. So, you know, it's it's something like I just thought, okay, that was in the past, and that's not relevant anymore. 
And it really wasn't until my own experience of being in the work environment and starting to just observe lots of things, strange things, and, um, you know, how women got treated and just sort of what the, how comfortable or uncomfortable I felt as a young woman. And so I then at one point made a major career change to start doing this work based on this very inspiring article that I read called A New Vision of Corporate America in the early 1990s, and it was really talking about how we need to evolve workforces for the um, for the reality that, you know, women are a big part of the workforce now. And so my corporate work has really been seeking to do that over many years. But uh, so what I see is a couple things. One, it's much harder when you're young because in the beginning of your career, it does feel very equal. And, you know, my experience was you go to college, you go to the same training programs, you go to graduate school, you know, kind of everything is feeling sort of similar. And it's not really until you start to see the differences. So I think it's very hard to observe early in your career life. And I also think that there's just been a lot of misrepresentation of what feminism means. And I say, if you had asked me if I was a feminist, I would have said, I don't know, because <laughs> I didn't really, oh, really know what it meant. But I thought, I thought what it meant, you know, there was all this baggage, right, about all these things that I think aren't accurate, or certainly aren't the whole story. And so, you know, I think part of it is the word has really been hijacked and cast in a certain light that's not that accurate. So that's what people hear, and that's what's been sort of pounded into their heads. So I think there's a lot of things going on. Well, when we're talking about waves of feminism, of course, the first wave was women wanting to get the vote. You know, that was what we consider the classic first wave of feminism. Then there was the second wave of feminism that was on the heels of the civil rights movement in the 70s, where women kind of went, yeah, well, we want to work on civil rights, but they were kept you know, being told to make the coffee, and pretty soon they were going, wait a minute, we can do more than making the coffee, and so boom, we had that second wave of feminism where they, women were going, you know, as a matter of fact, I can do this, I can do that, I can do, you know, whatever. But recently we've had what has been referred to as the third wave of feminism. I'm not quite clear on what that is. I, I think of it almost as a um, more of a cosmetic thing. It's like now, we're, now we, we've taken care of some of those major flaws, but now we need to polish up because it still doesn't look like it ought to look. Is that kind of a good uh, definition of that third wave of feminism? Probably how I would or how I would respond to that is, I think the well, not completely as we see in the media right now, but the more egregious forms of sexism in many places are not visible anymore. That you know, there's a there are norms that are different than that, and some follow them because they feel like they have to. Some follow them because they feel like they want to, but we see much less of that. I think incredibly egregious sense of devaluing women in a certain way. At the same time, a lot of the feelings um, have gone underground. Um, I think that it's also harder because a lot of it's unconscious. There's a lot of talk and the kind of work I do around unconscious bias, which is very strong and powerful. 
and all human beings have unconscious bias about all kinds of things. So, you know, gender is one of many, but it's sort of that you can't see what you don't see kind of thing. And so unless you're really wanting to educate yourself, I think it's hard to see. So I think what they're referring to is this sense of the more, you know, in-your-face stuff seems to have subsided uh, to a great degree, but there's still rampant issues and challenges around sexism that are much more nuanced and some underground and a lot just purely like a lack of awareness and education. I, you know, there's such an emphasis. I I was fortunate because I had a boy to raise and a girl to raise. I had two two kids, one of each. I always said that if there had been third, three varieties, I would have wanted to try for a third to get that third <laughs> variety. Um, but it, it it is different. It really is different. Um, how they react, how they behave, how we treat them, it is very different. And I think when I was a young woman, I kind of, well, my kids laugh at me because when they were little kids, I really thought, okay, I'll keep any toy gun away from them. I will raise them gender neutral. I Well, forget that. By the time the kid's in third grade, it's clear that this boy behaves differently from this girl and deal with it, Mom. You know, I, I so... You know, part of what I think and what I see in people who are talking about feminism, I think they see it almost as an archaic term um, that implies everybody's exactly the same. And if anybody is different, it's only because we are forcing them into a box. It's not because they really inherently are any different. And how do you see? Do you see that? Do you see what I'm saying about that? And does that make any sense? I think uh, you have overlapping things. Uh, I have two boys, and I guess young men, (laughs) you might say now, or almost young men. And um, there's definitely a difference. I mean, I think many parents observe that. It's like, wow, this is not what I thought. Just like you said, I'll sort of, I'll create that. You know, they don't come preloaded. I'll just, I'll create whatever I'm trying to. And Clearly, you know, at least half the package comes pre-baked or more. So I do think there's some truth to that, or there is truth to that. At the same time, I think, if so if you take sort of the average boy and the average girl, there are ways that they definitely, um, you know, gravitate towards different things. I think that's very clear. At the same time, I think if you look at the broad, you know, uh, if you look at the full curve of females and the full curve of males, there's a lot more distance between the ends of the curve for either of them than between the average female and the average male, if that makes any sense. So I think, you know, you have boys along the whole continuum and you have girls along the whole continuum. So, you know, you can pick out individuals or groups and they're going to be quite different. But again, like averages obscure a lot of difference. That's sort of the problems of average. What what I would also say is that um, to me, my goal is really to open up the possibilities for women and men. And I talk, I think I'm 
I don't hear this message very often, and sometimes I feel like I'm one of the few people that talk about this, but I see many ways that men are disadvantaged that Mm -hmm. really get no voice. And so to my mind, my focus is really on gender equality and all that that means, and it means what I call sort of opening up the possibilities and getting away from these, you know, societal constraints that basically limit people. They limit women, they limit men, they they limit them in different ways, but, you know, it's a sense you're supposed to do this. And what we know is those kind of norms are societally dictated and they change through time. So, you know, I think about even in my own lifetime, that, you know, men used to not be allowed in the delivery room. I remember talking to a doctor who he had to make special arrangements to be allowed into the delivery room for his own child because we thought men, you know, the child needed to bond with only the mother and, you know, having men there wasn't important. Obviously, we have a very different position on that. You know, that's only 50, 60 years, and it's sort of a 180 change. So to my mind, it's how do we realize that we create these constructs and they hurt us and try to break those instead of being limited by those. And again, I see Men are limited in different ways than women, but they have their own struggles in the space, too. Yeah. Well, and I appreciate you saying that because, as I said, you know, having raised a son, I I remember – Thinking very early on, when my kids were still very small, we I, we went into a store, and the the my my daughter was younger than my son, and we went into the store uh, in a mall, and the man behind the counter looked at my little daughter. I think she was like three, and he goes, "Oh, what a pretty little girl! What a pretty little girl!" Here, and he takes this this bowl. He he had bowls of like charms they were apples but they were on a little gold fitting and they were charms right for bracelets and stuff and he said would you like one of these and he hands her one of those and then my son is watching this he never offered my son one and so i said and and my son is kind of going well you know just kind of looking at him weird like wait a minute she gets an apple i don't you know kind of thing and so I made a comment about, could I buy one of those for my son as well? And the man looked at me and he goes, why would your son want this? <laughs> well, because he's sitting there with his sibling getting one for one thing, you know. Um, but it occurred to me how differently these children are being treated, simply because of their genders. Um, so, you know, there's some of that blatant stuff, uh, I, I think, from years ago. But I did notice as well with my son, as he grew older, we'd go into a store together or something, and, you know, he would get looked at. My son was very well behaved. He was not one of these wild kids, you know. Sometimes, some some kids are wild, you know, boys and girls, and he was always very calm. Um, but we went into a store, and as he was following me around in the store, the sales clerk is, like, just following him, like, He's not going to touch that, is he? He's not going to touch that. In it. So the reactions of the people around them were so different to my son and, and to my daughter. And with my son, it was more from a – it wasn't, oh, here's a pretty little nice little kid. Let's give him a present. It was more like, what are you going to be into? What are you going to do? You know. And right then I realized these kids are being treated differently, 
very differently, and how is that going to shape them in life? And you know, I, 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 and I've seen that as they've grown and matured. Um, there are opportunities that my daughter's had that my son has not. There's opportunities my son has had that my daughter has not. But uh, I think that we're used to talking and working on those opportunities that the girls don't get. But sometimes I, I think the boys are getting lost in the shuffle. Okay. Well, I, said I think it out loud. I said it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I again to to my mind I talk about, you know, the media has created this war, this gender war, and at times it really was a battle. And there's still many things we're fighting for, so I'm not suggesting that we're not as women because clearly we are. But at the same time, this idea it's you know women against men i think it's people against rigid more conformist norms around these things and people who are much more open about these things if there's any war and i think the reality is it's much more about coming together to say you know again how can we expand our possibilities and the way i Uh, tend to talk about it and think about it is, you know, my work has been very focused on women's advancement and women's leadership and, you know, how do we have women represented proportionally in leadership roles all over the place, in corporate America, in academia, in government, everywhere. And, you know, there's not a place you look where it's not really skewed (laughs) still in 2017. So that is very real and persistent. Um, At the same time, I think that, you know, in some ways the possibilities have changed so much less for males. And so I sort of think about it as, a mirror image that, you know, women are fighting, as I say, at a place, uh, at a place at the table in, you know, the workplace to be leaders. And I think in a lot of places, men are fighting for the, the uh, ability to be engaged parents and dads. And often in the home space, you know, the terms are dictated by the mom, like, this is how we do this. And, I think that, you know, sort of societally, if you're a man who is not ambitious professionally, that's bad. It's not like you're a good parent, you know, someone's, oh, isn't she a good mother? No, it's, you know, there's something wrong with you. There's been so little change in terms of men being able to express that part of themselves. And, you know, you were talking about how, you know, they get women and or boys and girls get treated differently, I think boys learn that code, that the masculinity code at a very young age. And for them, that has changed so little that it's still so much more about, you know, the, uh, you know, you want to be in control and you want to be powerful and you want to be number one and, you know, you want to not show your vulnerable side and you want to keep it all together and, you know, they're just so, there's such a uh, constraint, there's such a box that we've defined masculinity. And I think, I think I know men pay a huge price for that. I mean, we look at all kinds of health statistics. We look at incarceration and violence and suicide. And I mean, on and on, even isolation, you know, men tend to be much more isolated if they're not married or if their spouse dies or they get divorced, whatever, for for many reasons, but 
anyway, it's all to say men are paying. There are many things they benefit from because they're men, but there are also many costs that come with that that I think we are very um, not aware of in our culture. When we're talking about feminism, I mean, the, what does it actually mean? It used to mean opportunity, equal opportunity. Does it still mean that, do you think? Well, to me, if we go back to the base of the, I think, the original idea of feminists, I think that hasn't changed. Again, I think it's that the language has been stolen and rewritten. The history's been rewritten. I think the real goal of feminism was to change, you know, change workplaces and change how we did home. I think it was to change all of that for women and men. I don't think it ever meant, you know, we can all work 90 hours a week and 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 still have kids. What we've turned it into is a whole different way. I think it was a much more, again, sort of partnership kind of thing to say, how do we make it so that women can express these parts of themselves too, and how do we make it so that men can, you know, have enough flexibility to also express that part? I'll tell you when I was, I wrote a book a few years ago about. Uh, gender equality for dual career couples that are raising children, which is the time where, you know, the issues around gender equality really, uh, you know, really surface. And in doing research for the book, I ended up meeting with these bunch of men, and I couldn't believe this, who started meeting so they were – at the point when I met with them in about 2009-10, they had all grown children at that point, but they had started meeting when their children were infants, and they met for 20 years together. This, This father's group, it was about a half dozen of them, their wives never had anything to do with it. it. You know, it wasn't like mom suggested this or anything. And they talked about how they did this because they didn't know what it meant to be a father sort of in their modern day and they knew that their roles were going to be different and they wanted them to be different than their own dads and they wanted to have other men to talk to about this and I was I couldn't believe that that sort of had happened and one of the men was a partner at a law firm and he had taken a parental leave when his first child was born for like six months or something and then he had reduced his hours at one point and it was that feeling like we just keep rewriting the same thing over and over again and I think similarly what my understanding is you know during the first wave of feminism after women got the vote you know, there was a huge amount of momentum, but then after the war, there was, you know, such a focus on we need to get men back to work that all that energy and all that momentum about, you know, expanding women's purview just got shut down and, like, put us yeah. back 50 years again or 40 years until, you know, it started to surface again. So, you know, in a way, I, I, I think there's this been inexorable force forward, but lots of things sidetracked along the way. Yeah. I remember reading a book, and it's still one of my favorite books, 
and it's called, I think, 150 Years of the Experts' Advice to Women. And it talks all about how, you know, I mean, from Freud, uh, uh, I mean, even going into centuries past, you know, uh, what what is what is a good woman? What is a fulfilled woman? What what do women want to be? And of course, in the Victorian times, it was somebody who basically did nothing, wore a corset, and had the vapors. You know, um, but back then, because of high infant mortality, um, a good mother is one who didn't bond with her infant. They would ship the infant out to a wet nurse or whatever because there was, and of course these are the landed gentry, the, the women who were working in factories and the immigrant women right. are totally different. <laughs> um, but they they were shipped out to wet nurses to feed and then when they were like, two, if they survived for two years or so, then they could come back home and be with mom and dad. Um, so the notion that if you wanted to hang on to that baby, you were not a good mother. There, you were oh, they, no, that wasn't good for you to do that. Well, then you know we segued into the 20th century, and and you know like you were mentioning with World War II, you know during world before World War II, it was well if you're going to be a good mother, you take care of your own children, right? Well then, gosh, World War II breaks out, and guess what? We can use all these women in the factory. So you know what? You're going to actually be stifling your child if you don't let grandma take care of that child while you go to the factory and work on the war effort. Okay, fine. So all these women went out, worked on the war effort. And I remember a woman, the uh, very first job I had out of college, she had worked during World War II. She had a Ph.D., very well educated. I believe she was a chemist. And she worked at some major chemical company during the war and did a great job, um, you know, just did some marvelous things. Then the war is over, and it's like, thank you very much for your service. Now we need to give the jobs to the men. And they sent her home, and she was always extremely resentful of that, extremely resentful. And she went home and had babies like she was supposed to. And so right after World War II in the 50s, it was, oh, my gosh, you're going to hurt your child if you're not the care the caregiver, the one and only. You know, it's going to be dreadful for your child. So the whole gist of this book is you know the experts who are telling us how to be women and mothers and daughters their advice changes depending on social governmental political and economic factors which to me i mean to me it's no surprise that it's called his story because it has yeah. been his story he has written you know because again he has controlled governmental politics you know uh industry he has and continues to and you know to me we can run a better story that's better for men and women and that's what I want to do and that's why I'm like I get so frustrated with this you know there's so many articles in the space that I work in and and you know people that write around things like I do again around this he is hers who's doing more in the house less in the house you know is it changing and some of that's important, but we just keep rewriting the same thing. And I think oh, yeah. so much of the energy is siphoned off instead of a lot of us want it to be different. We want to have workplaces that are more sustainable and healthier. You know, we want to have relationships that are different than sometimes feel possible in our, you know, sort of the modern intensity of life now and to me, it's sort of like, how do we rest the narrative back and say, you know what, like, 
we're just getting thrown around this way and that, and there's lots of great examples just like you gave about, okay, at this time, this is the way it is. At that time, that's the way it is. And, you know, sort of the the most, you know, one of the great um, hypocrisies are, you know, women are supposed to stay home, but we never wanted black women to stay at home, right? Well, they better get out and work when they were slaves. Well, they better be working. We don't, you know, they don't need to be home with their children. I mean, just crazy, you know, illogical kind of things. And I guess my hope is that we have, so I, you know, sometimes I think, I wish we had new language or new word. And because there is a lot of baggage with feminism, I think the concepts are rock solid, and I don't think those really have ever changed. I think what's changed is lots of people have used the word for their purposes and confused a lot of people who, you know, aren't going to probably take the time to kind of learn the real story so that it just ends up, again, creating a lot of interference instead of letting us have real conversations about things. Well, and isn't that kind of the way with racism? I mean, it's kind of gone underground. It hasn't been eliminated. It's just absolutely that not are too politically savvy to come out and do blatant things. It's more undercover, you know, kind of hidden uh, um, um, sexism and racism. Uh, you know, we're, nobody nobody's going to stand up in front of a group and tell some, you know, big sexist joke, right? Because that's not. But you get them in their little group, they're going to. But then you know, I, uh, I have a hard. Go ahead. No, I, you, you jump in. I don't want to interrupt. Oh well, I was kind of doing a little riff in my brain here. Um, you know, the other thing that bothers me is that the so many of the the t- when we were kids, TV shows were you know, dad was the head of the household, mom was an idiot. I mean, I used to see reruns when I was growing up. I saw reruns of Lucille Ball. That what did they? I love Lucy. I yep. hated that show. I absolutely hated it. And I still have never come to grips and understood why so many people think of that as an iconic show. She came across, he was daddy, and she had to, you know, sneak, and, and she was a child. I mean, it was it was just such a warped, um, to me, it was just so, such a warped relationship. Uh, and I hated that show. Um, and I think it was because of the way... She was, you know. I mean, you can't say she was um, beaten down or whatever. I mean, she wasn't, but it was just the way it was handled. It just gave me the creeps. I hated that. I love Lucy stuff. Um, But nevertheless, I think that the way we have come now, I don't watch TV a lot, but every now and then I watch shows, TV shows, and it's always the mother who's the sensible, smart one, and the father's an idiot. And I think, really, is that the answer to inequality is that the answer to stereotypes is to turn the other person into the stereotype i what's that have to do with feminism uh, i would i would argue no so i will share sort of a to me a, a real ray of hope you know doing this kind of work is hard as you know because change is really hard social change is really hard and you know try to like change the the leadership face of our organizations is is slow process is a slow process uh so it's certainly after many years pretty easy to feel discouraged and a couple of years ago i kind of had a window into something new that's really uh 
energized me and given me a lot of hope. And it's come from what I would call an incredibly unexpected place, which is business, graduate business schools, like very elite graduate business schools. And what this is, is most business schools have a women in leadership kind of group that's a student group on campus. And there this, there's been this uh, sort of movement, I would call it a, it's beginning stage movement of having what are called male ally groups on campus. And they're called different things. I'd rather them be called male partnership groups, but because that's more confusing, um, the language that gets used is male allies. But the way they work is really the, the women and men are coming together. The male ally group is, is you know, sort of a um, an offshoot of the women in leadership group. They work very closely together. And they really are tackling hard issues, having very authentic, real conversations, you know, bringing in people to, you know, sort of share from different places, you know, what what they see. And I think they are really onto something in terms of the way they're coming together to do it. But in and so. Part of the reason I know a lot about them is I have been profiling them for the last few years and am now talking to some of the men who have graduated from business school and now are back in the workforce to try to understand, you know, what's that like when you come in with this different lens you've developed or expanded and you have this motivation and you have the knowledge and then, you know, you go back into environments, what do you see, what's hard, what's you know, what's possible. And um, in any case, meeting a lot of these young men has been among the most inspiring things I've ever done. I have just been blown away with the stories they tell me about why they care or how they got connected to this or why they're, you know, why they want to be involved. And um, one of my favorite stories uh, was this this young man and most of them in their late 20s you know again they've gone to top business schools like the world is their oyster so to speak and this one man was saying um you know I've always been really close to my grandmother and when my you know when I was growing up I spent a lot of time with my grandmother and we used to love to watch Jeopardy together so we used to watch it you know many nights and he said she was so smart. It was amazing. You know, she could answer all the questions. He said, I used to love to watch it with her. And, you know, he said, as I got older and became more sort of, you know, cognizant of these things, you know, I would have conversations with her and then asked her about, so she didn't end up, you know, she didn't go to college. Well, why didn't you go to college, Grandma? You know, you were so smart. Well, you know, girls didn't really go to college then. And, you know, that she was a mom and that was fine. But he he said, I never could get it out of my mind about like, what could have been. She was so, you know, bright and like this whole other part of her life was shut down. And then I just talked to a guy last week who, he happens to be Australian, but said, you know, he's an attorney. He was working at a law firm. He said all the partners were men. And in his, you know, more junior attorney class, he said it was pretty mixed um, by gender. And he said it was so clear to me that, like, many of the best of the group were female. And he said, like, you know, something was just not computing for me here. Like, what is going on? 
and you know I'll share one more. I mean, I could spend the whole show talking about some of these, but it's really, really been so wonderful to connect with this group of men and women. But, um, you know, I had one of the men say in terms of why, you know, he wants to learn more about this. He said, you know, I'm I'm very, you know, I'm smart. I'm hardworking. He said, but my girlfriend is smarter and harder working and I think the reality is, you know, she has more potential professionally, and I want to know how to support her as, you know, her hopefully husband someday to, you know, to be able to sort of run with that. I'm not used to hearing those kind of remarks. So I think there's some real, you know, and I don't think this represents every student at business school, but I do think there's this deep core of young people who are really, really trying to write new scripts. Yeah. Well, you know, that when when we're talking about all these differences, um there are differences today in feminism, not only in what we're shooting for, we we talked about, you know, some of the subtleties, but we're also talking more about feminism as a men's issue. You know, that this is something that benefits men. I do see younger people today and sometimes I think gosh, you know, I we have we have the pendulum has swung so far. Do all these young women feel obliged to go and have super careers as well as be mothers? And that, Are there any women out there who still go, you know what, I want to raise my children and I want to stay home and do it, and that's what I want to do. Have we swung the pendulum so far that that's no longer a viable option for many women? Or do they have to feel guilty about it? Or I think it's a great question, a really great question, and I think we don't talk about that enough either. And I, you know, I think uh, highly educated women, especially women with graduate degrees, professional degrees, I do think they feel like this pressure that I'm that I'm supposed to want all that, it, it, yeah. or you know, and I'm supposed to be able to do all that. I think that's what it is. I talk about in the the book I was referring to. I talk about what I called the new the uh, new problem with no name. So Betty Friedan and the whole feminine mystique and this sense of women feeling like I'm not fulfilled. You know, I I have aspirations in addition to my aspiration to be a mom and a wife. I have other aspirations. Well. I sort of see this new problem as not only are you supposed to, um, you know, be able to do that, excel in your career, but you're also supposed to be able to be, you know, wife, mother, and you're just going full time all the time. Like there's no downtime in life, and yet this is all attainable for everyone. I think that's the trope that young women face. Like, okay, I've got to do all of these things and all at the same time. And I yes. think it's really burning us out and making us really unhappy. And my hope is that we can work with men to change our norms about how we work, about what a leader is, what they look like, what's required. And I think the way we're doing it now is, is not good for our well-being, um, yeah. And I think I, I think, I think yeah, professional yeah. women feel a tremendous amount of pressure. Well, the other thing that when we have this whole conversation, we can't forget um, differences in economic status. You know, my daughter, who is well-educated and has a decent job, was talking about her career trajectory. And all of a sudden it struck me, 
you do understand that 99% of the people in the world don't have a career trajectory. They have a job. Right. You know? Uh, and and a part of me, and, and I'm sure some of this has to do with getting older and jaded and all of that kind of stuff, but part of me <laughs> is thinking, uh, you know, really? Your career trajectory is so important. Um, I said, I thought you liked, you know, she was talking about leaving the company she's with. And I said, I thought you liked the company. She said, oh, yeah, I really like the company. I think it's a good company, and I like the, the, the people that I work with. And it would be a, she, has, she doesn't have kids yet, but she's thinking about it, and she's going. And, and it would be a great place if you have children. But they knew what my career trajectory is, and I'm not getting, I've been there seven or eight months, and I'm not getting the, and I'm thinking, okay, this is a millennial speaking, right? <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> you know sometimes things don't happen that fast sometimes you don't have to have the trophy for accomplishing something and how much of this is really because you feel as a woman that you have to have this trajectory and how much of it is because you've been told you need to have a trajectory well so the interesting the interesting thing for me about the um sort of millennial behaviors and, you know, myself also feel reaction to that. Like, really? You just got here. Really? <laughs> what are you thinking? <laughs> yeah. um, it's hard not to feel that. But I guess what I know, having been in this space doing corporate consulting for a long time, is that we have totally created that and that I think a young person in some ways would be silly not to do that because what they have learned is, there's no reciprocity, right? There's no, you know, oh, if we have to close that market, sorry, you're out of a job. So we have taught, the, you know, young people, you extract every bit of whatever you can get, money, position, whatever, and, and get out. And like, again, so it's, you have to be, I mean, they're really told this, you have to be your own career agent. No one's going to do it for you. No one's looking out for you. You know, it's not your manager's job to manage your career. It's your job. So, you know, they have been, they have been basically raised that this is the relationship to the workforce. And I think many of us, young and old, would trade for a very different value proposition but because economically we're told um you know okay this is the way it is that this is you know it's just business again i have an mba i've been like in the business world a lot of this is constructed you know that this this is the way it is is this is the way we've responded to it not this is the way it is so yeah, it just yeah. goes so deep to me, that it's really, okay, well, how do we create, you know, new organizations with different norms? And and part of that, I, I think people would quickly, I, I suspect, follow suit if they felt like that was the chance. But now it's like, well, what if I get laid off and I'm not at the highest position I could have been? Then I'll have to make less money. You know, I think they're always having to think 20 years out. That's a lot of pressure. And, you know, there's a lot of ways I don't envy people who are just in the early part of their career now. It seems yeah. to me that in a lot of ways it's a lot harder. I think so too, and I think that um, although I, you know, I fluctuate between, you know, the whole economic thing. You know, my my children tell me that it's different now. That, you know, 
know, it was cheaper to get an education, it was cheaper to buy a house, blah, blah, blah. Well, yes, it was cheaper, but they, they're telling me that even, you know, when you, you um, uh, correlate today's dollars versus those dollars from 25 years ago or whatever, that it's much harder today. And, you know, and part of me thinks, yeah, okay, I can see the figures, but part of me thinks that, you know, I mean, when I bought my first house, it was a fixer-upper, it was a dump, and, you know, you put in the sweat equity, and then you sold it and moved on. Uh, the kids that I see today don't want a sweat equity. They want to have mom and dad's house, you know, <laughs> first track right. of the box. So, I yeah, think we yeah. have both things going on. I think their expectations are, you know, again, this is all supposed to happen fast, and <laughs> it, it, there's not as much of the building. But then again, I think, I, I think we – you know, we as a culture model that too, right? I want it, I want it now. So if I don't have the money, then then I'll just, you know, borrow it. And having yeah. been a money management person, I just, I could do lots of shows on the crazy ways we manage money that cut all our choices <laughs> off. Um, yeah. But anyway, so I think part of that is, you know, we're the consumption engine of our economy is, or the the engine of our economy is consumption. So we and that find every way we can to get people to buy more stuff. <laughs> okay, and that brings me kind of full circle because I'm kind of watching the clock here, which is why I was interrupting you. How much of our definition of feminism today has to do with economics? That is also a great, great question. And um, I think that it's probably... I think there's an I think there are two pieces. I think there's economic empowerment which is huge. I have the choice that I can take care of myself financially. You know, that's a really important thing. I think there's like the prestige piece that's separate from that and I think that that is um the prestige now I think for women is more about their career acumen or career credentials and and so I think that pressure is there in a different way like I don't think that used to be you know women were wanting to get into the workforce but I think again it's that sense of baseline is if I'm an educated woman then I'm supposed to as you said you know whatever be at this level or have this kind of job or whatever so I think that's a new pressure that women feel. But I also think they get a lot out of their jobs. You know, so I would it's never like, oh, they shouldn't be working. That's not the way I see it. I think there's so well, much I, positive about it, but I also think there's a lot of pressure wrapped up in it too. I think so too. And and uh, getting back to my question about, you know, does does any any woman, what if a woman really says I want to raise children? That's what I want to do with my life. Um I think that there's I think there's absolutely no problem with that. I think the the only for me, it's just there's a risk in that divorces don't usually go well for women. <laughs> I mean, we have a lot of stats to prove that. So that's not a very positive spin, but I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to be a stay-at-home mom. I do do think there's some economic risk with making that choice. That's hard to see when you're a young person, but, you know, a lot easier to see as you move through the life cycle and, you know, sort of see how that manifests for some people in your world. So... 
does feminism today mean you have to go get that career trajectory? You have to go get that education. You have to achieve something other than what millennia of women um, achieved, which is raise your family. To, to me, and that's it, it, no better than the construct of, fem, you know, that a woman's supposed to be at home. To me, that's just another straitjacket. To me, again, this is my voice. I'm not saying that this, you know, is, is the way it's defined. But to me, feminism is, again, this non-gendered thing that's about freedom of possibility. And it's around, you know, making the choices that work for you and your family and your personality and all kinds of things. And so I get worried or I'm not one to say this is what it has to mean. And I think if feminism is now defined, if it gets seen as that, you have to accomplish this level of success or whatever, to me you're just in another have-to situation that – does it's not it's not any better it, you know i think they say at the end of your life most people feel like the sadness is around i wish i had been truer to myself whatever that means for you and so i think it's like finding again sort of what works for you as an individual or in the context of your family and i think some people really love the adrenaline high of doing that I think some people don't. You know, there's there's so many variables with it. So I am I'm reluctant to define it in narrow terms because to me that's what gets us and keeps us in problems. And then it's the debate about well, is it this or isn't it this? I say, let's say, how do we create better ways of doing stuff (laughs) that we collectively know a lot of places are broken and how do we focus on having them not be so broken? So 30 years ago, feminism was defined as having opportunity and having choice. Is it still defined that way? Yes, I think it's still defined that way. And equality, gender equality would mean that men had the same thing, including choice, of which they don't have any, or they don't experience they have any choice. But I think it still means that for women. It's about having opportunity and and choice about how you mix these important parts of your life. I think that's still valid. I think it is, too. I think it is, too. So... Do we need a different word for feminism in the 21st century? I'm all for a new word. I haven't. I've been trying to think of one. I don't have a good one yet, but <laughs> I'm all for a new word. Personism. I think uh, equalitarianism. You know, well, you something like go. that. Like I'd, I'd rather it be about this sort of equity-ish kind of feeling, but. I think it would be fabulous if we developed some new language because I think our old language is not helping us anymore. Well, not only is our old language not helping us because it comes, it's just littered with 
previous meanings that may or may not apply today. But I think that it also comes with expectations. It would be wonderful. You know, I, I, I look at young people and I think, are you doing, like I look at my daughter and I go, you know, this career trajectory thing, is that because you really want this? Because quite frankly, in the times you've been unemployed and you did your crafting, you were ecstatic. You were so happy. You know, are you sure you really want to be out there in some, you know, high-pressured world? And and I, of course, I haven't said it to her, but, you know, I question, are, if this is what you want, great, you know, but is it really what you want or is it what you think you should want? And I think... You know, that's what we need to examine whenever we we look at these issues. Are we doing it because it's really better for us, or are we doing it because that's what's expected of us? Because, as you said before, that's just trading, you know, the de- the devil you know for the devil you don't know. It, to, to, to my mind, it's this sense of what are the packages that are available, so to speak. And, you know, for me, it's this moderation it's a dirty word in our culture i'm all for moderation of all sorts and you know again i think there's this feeling that work comes in this professional work comes in this package and it's an all-in model and whether it's children or interest or health reasons again there's so many reasons that that model doesn't work for probably most people but we have never align those two things and I think it'll be interesting to watch how this continues to unfold what I know having been doing this research for you know a long time is the pressure people feel has you know only skyrocketed it just keeps going up and I think I don't know where we're going to go with that you know how many hours can people work or how many relationships can they manage or I wrote a blog about how much is enough, (laughs) you know, because, again, how much house is enough, how many, you know, whatever. I I think the sense of feeling grounded and sort of balanced or whatever word you want to use is really an important one, and it just seems so kind of anathema relative to what is seen as, like, sexy and successful in in our American culture right now. So I guess the question that I'm going to leave with the audience is, feminism, the the way we perceive it may have changed, but feminism itself is still about opportunity and equality. I think that's absolutely true. I think it's still about opportunity and equality. And I think think that's what what it's always been about. But what we have to ask ourselves is, are we really... Uh, whether no matter what it is, whether it's political, whether it's feminism, whether, whatever it is, I think it behooves us to ask, are we doing this, are we supporting this, are we following this because this is what's best for us or are we doing it because this is what is expected of us and what we think we're supposed to be doing? I don't know. So, uh, well, I think I think part of it is having the um, kind of courage to dream and to, to think other options are possible. Because I think, again, like all we see around us looks like X, right? So I imagine your daughter, you know, sees okay, these are good, these are good jobs, and they look like this, and but they all have a very high commitment level, and I don't know. I I think it's really 
helping to imagine and think about and that takes courage and it's scary and you know you still got to pay your mortgage and feed your kids and all this stuff just a question that we're not able to answer on this show but i thank you very much lisa lily for being with us having this conversation um conversation we should have evidence thank you for joining us thanks so much i really enjoyed it it's a very powerful subject Thank you, Lisa. All right. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye.